Hello, I am here. Can you hear me? I should talk like a regular person. Sorry, that wasn't my real voice. I was going to say something. I was going to be like, <laughs> actually, that's uh, that's exactly how she's. Gonna, you have to do the whole thing like that. Hello. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, we're here again in uh, the Highlands Bunker. This is the podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the beast. <laughs> These people around here, it's rough. We have, I mean, we have to venture out. The you know. main streets of 19806. Yeah. Well, they're mean. That's the trick, right? These are the meanest streets. They're just mean in, like, different ways. It is a different meme. Yeah. Um, we are uh, extremely uh, happy to have yet again another uh, beautiful artist, native of Wilmington, uh, professional dancer, choreographer, director, uh, teacher, uh, and the executive director and artistic director of Pieces of a Dream, Ashley S.K. Davis. Hello, hello, everyone. That wasn't too weird of a voice. Hello. I like that. That was my Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have actually we have several mutual friends, but we have yes. a we have a particular mutual friend who uh, sort of told me the sort of work that you were doing yes. and like kind of put us together. I subsequently found out that we have many, many mutual friends. Yes, actually. Yes. <laughs> um, but um, let's start. I, I like to start at the beginning, and then we'll get into the new stuff. So, uh, Wilmington native. Yes. Where did you grow up? What What's your like? What was your childhood experience in the city? Because um, I have one too, and I, I'm always interested about this. Sure. So I am Wilmington native in that that's what the address said, but. Um, my mother lived and still lives at Falcon Naaman's Road. So I'm definitely like a suburban kid. Ah, this is, a, we call um, this, the, you're in the Joshua, Whitt Joshua Whitaker. Uh, <laughs> you fall into actually a category. That we, Who we, knew? This is noted. <laughs> um, but, so I'm Brandywine School District, yeah. K-12. to um, But we often came into the city, my aunt lived in the city, my grandmother lived in the city, my godmother lived in the city. Um, my grandmother was on the north side. My aunt and my godmother lived on the east side. I took classes at Christina Culture Art Center when it was on the east side at Old Swedish Church. Oh, the and old old school. I would say Christina I have, you know, school. I'm a throwback Christina kid. Yeah. Um, and then I like I remember when we moved to Market Street. Um, so I am not. We've always gone to church. Um, in in the city, uh, Central Baptist, and then uh, Cornerstone Fellowship Baptist. Um, so I am definitely, a. am not a Wilmington native in that aspect, but I've been in the city my whole life. Yeah. My story's sort of the same, like I, on the other side of Wilmington. So I, I grew up like just down Maryland Avenue, okay. mm -hmm. um, like at Banning Park, mm -hmm. Boxwood Road area. So, but like my grandfather worked at the Wilmington shops. My grandmother was from Wilmington. I went to St. Anthony's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we were, it's the same thing. Yes. We were still, it was still felt like part of the, exactly. part of the show. Exactly. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so how'd you, so what what um, what drew you to to dance? Because that's a like a very unique like art. Being drawn to any kind of fine art is sort of a unique calling i think in in just in culture almost always yeah but like even but dance in particular is a is a uh, is one like that too and i'm wondering what like what drew you to that how old were you and sort of what was there a one seminal thing that happened or did you just sort of start taking it because you were interested in it and developed more of an interest in it so i started taking dance classes uh when i was two years old my mother would try to get me to dance with her in the kitchen. And she said, I had no rhythm and I needed professional help. So she put me in dance classes. This is a true story. So she was just like, you need more help than my amateur self can help you with. And she put me in dance class and I just kind of never stopped dancing. Um, but being a dancer and working in this space was never part of my plan. Um, I've been, I'd been pre-law since second grade. Um, <laughs> I had every intention of being an attorney. And I remember distinctly when I got to college, we had to take like the, like the test to say like, these are good careers that you should do. Um, and my paper came back like the worst careers for you were an attorney, a judge or like something else. And then the best careers for me were supposed to be like an artist, a teacher or a social worker. And I remember calling my mother like devastated and crying. I was like, I don't want to do these things. I don't want to be poor. And she was like, well, oh you know, God. you know, Asha, I always thought she would be a good attorney, but I never really thought she would like it. My mother's an attorney. She was like, I okay. never thought she would like it. I thought she would always be good at it. But she was like, if you want to do it, it's okay. This is just the test. Um, but even at that time, I was still pre-law. I was a poli-sci major. Um, and then I was a philosophy major. Um, this is interesting because uh, I went to Spelman. Yes. Which is like, a, and so you went there with this idea that you would do. I was going to law school. Law of philosophy. Huh, yeah, I was going to law school. Okay. That was that was the plan. There was not another piece of the plan. Um, and like even switching to philosophy, there were some other women who, um, I we had to take. I was part of the honors program, and so as the honors program, you had to take this like honors freshman philosophy whatever course seminar. And that was the first time I ever understood philosophy be not dead white guys, like old dead white guys. And I was like, oh, we read Bell Hooks and we read Hagu Korde, which is like the code of the samurai. I was like, oh my goodness, I never really understood philosophy to be a way to look at life and a lens through which you understood the world. There wasn't one philosophy. There yes, like exactly. It kind of like opened up like, um and as a result of that class i was like oh maybe i like philosophy so i took another philosophy class and in that class i was in a class it was philosophy and literature because i still like to read a lot um and i it was like senior it was like a 400 level class i don't know why i was in it as a high school as a college sophomore but there were uh several other women who were pre-law that were either political science majors or most of them were political science majors and like philosophy minors. And they kind of suggested to me like, you know, you're early enough in this that if you wanted to change, 
the philosophy major will probably help prepare you for the LSAT better than your poli-sci courses are. Like still take the poli-sci courses, but maybe switch your major and flip them. So one's a major and the other's a minor. And so I did that. But even switching to philosophy was still with the idea of I need to take the LSAT because I'm going to law school. And then I watched a lot of episodes of Judging Amy. <laughs> and Amy made like a lot of bad judgment calls. And I was like, come on, Amy, do do better. And I don't even know what network it originally came in, but my process like junior year was like in, from 12 to 2, TNT showed reruns of Judging Amy. Was your seminal moment in the arts a TNT? Si- it was. Like, a, like on a sitcom or like a, a procedural TNT that was like. Save a- my life. <laughs> I love it. I love but it. But even through all of this, I was still. A member of the dance company on campus. I was doing a lot of choreography. I was doing a lot of performing. Um, so you didn't move away from it. You were I didn't move away from it. You were still it. It doing just, it as like that was your yeah, that was, was your a thing. Hobby. Yeah. It was a yeah, hobby. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. think of it like I wasn't planning to make a career of it. Um it was just like another thing that I was good at and that I could do and I did it. Yeah. Um but interestingly my senior year, so we had to write our senior thesis and I wrote my thesis on the um socio the social importance of modern dance beyond like the socio um, philosophical importance of modern dance beyond just aesthetics um and so just kind of the idea of like you know dance can be meaningful beyond just what it looks like and i've realized i kind of have been like circling back to that always in my professional work. But um, I graduated in 2005 with my philosophy degree and moved back to Delaware and couldn't get a job. <laughs> I think you, this is a this is a story called your philosophy my degree. My philosophy degree. <laughs> it's not just yours. I feel like it's a fairly common. The, the, the philosophy degree. Yeah. So um, I in high school, I worked at Barnes & Noble up on 202. Um, not the one at the mall. Well, not the not the one at Christiana Mall. Bleh, that's a new one. I actually don't have a problem with the with the Christiana Mall, Barnes and Noble. I think it's a really nice, lovely building, but it's like the new one. So I'm like a snob. Oh, about gee. It. I mean, look. <laughs> if there's one thing that the the bunker is about, is making sure that you get credit for OG cred. I like mean, that's what I'm saying. So I, com- I completely. I'm. I'm I worked at the I worked at Barnes and Noble. Um, well, I got back to. I got back to um, to Wilmington and I applied like for the ACLU and the Urban League and like a thousand places. But it was right as the economy was like tanking. So yeah. people who had like resumes were also applying for the jobs I was applying for. So I couldn't get a job. And I went back and started working at the bookstore again. And on the side, I was like, oh, well, I can teach a dance class on the side. So I just kind of picked up a dance class. And then another, and then another, and then in about two years, I was teaching 30 dance classes a week. And I was like, well, I guess I don't need this bookstore job anymore. And that was like really my impetus into I am a professional dancer, a professional dance instructor. All that's, because that's, of philosophy. Yeah, well, I mean, first, <laughs> and the the other thing that as you tell the story, it's sort of, you know, you see the pattern because you're doing the creative thing. But the philosophy and the law and the political science, sort of like the theory, 
does illustrate so much of what you're of what you're doing absolutely i mean you said that your thesis was not about just the aesthetic you know it wasn't just about doing dancing for or choreography for for your health or because it's fun yeah but there's a more of a meaning to it yeah so you have a you have a foundation in that and you're able to yeah to to do it it's it's, it's interesting yeah i've it's it's been a lot of fun I've, i've also loved like being able to talk like having big science words like every once in a while and with my dance students because in addition to the company i also have a training program for uh ages two through adult and so every once in a while like i'll drop big words on the like middle school kids and they're like what i was like go home and look it up (laughs) that's it i was like just when y'all thought i was out here just teaching dance it's actually smart in these streets (laughs) nice (laughs) so did you did all of your choreography come from the from the, the pieces of a dream group? Have you had you done it? Had you put on? Have I staged stuff it on you, other? Yeah. Um. So because well, because I'm really interested in in the group today because it also does a lot of as you said mm-hmm. connected sort of community organizing and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But uh, how much sort of choreography and directing were you doing before that? So like I meant, I was very fortunate that I was able to do a lot of choreography while I was still in college. So that was wonderful. Um, I, for the 75th anniversary for um, Spellman's Department of Dance or whatever, I don't know what it was, but uh, they invited uh, several alumni uh, to come back and set works on the current dance theater. So that was really great. I did a piece to Nina Simone's Four Women which was wonder oh no 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 i did that in college i did nina simone for women in college for one of my choreography classes for spelman dance theater i did a work about the ways in which we kind of create boxes of in our own mind i use a CeeLo green and erica badu two different songs um I can't remember the I don't know the names of any songs or words. But the CeeLo song was I tried everything was suicide, but it crossed my mind. So I used that one and then um Erica Badu's penitentiary philosophy and just the idea of kind of we like bind ourselves into boxes and that we need to like allow give ourselves permission to free ourselves from the boxes. So even even uh your college was while it was a um you know, just a hobby. You were doing more expression than just sort of doing like, you know, you can play sports as a hobby or you can work out or whatever you do, but you're, you're actually, you know, thinking about bigger themes and putting on, putting on shows even. So you did have a, a, uh, I was wondering whether college based on your desire to do the law school sort of track I, I was, was so, but it seems like it really was sort of impactful that what you, what you did there. It was, you know, it was, I, it it was never intentional. And literally, I just figured out, like, oh, earlier this year, I was talking to someone. And I kind of re- remembered, or no, maybe I found my thesis. At some, I think I found my thesis in a, in a bag in the basement <laughs> somewhere. And I was like, oh, that is what my thesis was about. And I kind of realized at that moment, it clicked. I was like, I'm still doing the same thing I said I was doing all the way back then. Um, but I had never... I never consciously tied together that I was creating socially relevant dance works purposefully. 
um, it was just a thing that I, it was the thing that I was always interested in. Um, yeah, I just, you know, we go to shows. I love, I love going to, sh- I love seeing beautiful dance. I really do. But the, the, the works that always kind of stuck with me more as an audience member were the ones that really were addressing things and, and, and addressing issues. And I, I think that, you know, since I'm not, judging Amy making terrible decisions <laughs> at least I can try to I can try to address the issues in in this I feel like this is my little box that I can use to kind of speak and so that's what I've been doing so pieces of a dream as a organization had that how did what was the genesis of that um really I had it was the same idea like I had these ideas for dances I was teaching I'd been teaching dance classes. I graduated, been teaching dance classes for about two years. And people kept saying to me, oh, we're going to start a dance studio. We're going to start a dance studio. And I was like, I don't want to start a dance studio because dance moms are terrible. Not my dance moms at Pieces. All of you parents are great. I love you. Everyone knows you actually know, like, real talk. My, my parents at Pieces of a Dream Academy Dance are amazing. I love them so much. They are not like those awful women on that TV show. Um... But I was like, I just didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to have to deal with like tuition and payments. I just didn't want to deal with it. I wanted to, um, so it just wasn't anything that was interesting to me. Um, And I was, we have to do like recital and you have to like do a dance and teach the eight-year-olds a dance. And so I was doing that. But then I have like ideas for shows or pieces that I wanted to do that were just too long so like usually if you go to dance recital like the dances are like maybe three to five minutes long and i would have like ideas for these epic suites so i was like i need 15 minutes to tell this story why i was like i know i just it felt like that's how much time i needed or i would want to talk about like really dark and awful things that aren't good if you also have like a group of unicorn toddler babies and the wings with their tutus on when you see when you see a unicorn (laughs) who's doing the floss you can't you can't get it too you can't get it too heavy you can't get too heavy you can't get too heavy but i was like really ready to go heavy so i was like super frustrated because i had ideas i was like i don't have a venue to kind of work through any of these ideas and so people were saying oh open studio open studio studio i was like that um and then my um my auntie uh kay anderson thank you auntie uh said shout to out me, to auntie. shout out to auntie Boom-boom. love it love it um she said to me hey hey ash why don't you start a dance company and i like was like oh, that was it like i'd never thought of dance company before and i uh, realized that that would kind of allow me to do the things that i wanted to do to continue to teach and and because i like teaching the ballet classes and tap classes and you know all those things but it will also give me an opportunity to kind of explore these other bigger themes that were taking longer to come out and you know just they needed more time um and they were more mature and i didn't want to bring them up when somebody was just there to see the grandbaby dance to uh little red corvette like oh yeah. you know i want you to somebody's little red corvette was a bad choice probably i mean no i don't think so i think I that's mean, a good choice everybody likes prince i mean yeah but i was thinking about like the words oh. i was like maybe your grandbaby shouldn't dance to that oh yeah well uh i don't know well, I mean, we'll you, table you, that you, that's you, pick, another you day. pick those right i i do i don't so, i never I mean, actually had babies dance to that i don't think well who knows <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be people video. going back. 
They'll did find they? a video. Did they? Because <laughs> you you did say earlier that you don't listen to the lyrics. I don't. I don't know so the words. You may have done. You, you may, may have, have pulled one on. But here. you know what? I do. I do scan through it and like read the lyrics beforehand. Thanks, thanks, Steve Jobs and Apple Music for making that lyrics button available so I can see check that. It, check it for any. Uh, so I can. Our, oh, our X ratings. Oh, always. But then after I do that, like once I give it a go ahead in my head, like check is fine. I still don't know any of the yeah, words. Yeah, I mean now that you're saying you're working with younger kids maybe prince is just off limits prince is a bit off limits it's problematic for the the general. general the general elementary school middle school student it's going yeah. to be problematic yeah but they don't know what he's talking about i didn't know what he was talking about i don't know though isn't there more of like and if kids are like more advanced now i, don't I know. guess that's just old people nah, say i don't whatever know. I don't know if that's true anyway um so yeah that was that's kind of how piece of a dream came to be i was just interested in and kind of deeper things and longer things yeah so you're so you're instructing on you know the full sort of range of like modern dance and hip-hop and ballet mm-hmm. but then you're also working on just like larger pieces to, to, to put on to produce. yeah 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 so that was it was really great and so you know got a group of adult women and then a group of like teens that i'd been working with in the past and kind of got them together and that was the beginnings of Piece of a Dream Dance Theater in 2007. Um, we had our first production in March of two, 2008 at the Baby Grand. And like looking back at it, I was like, oh my gosh, it was terrible. But like, I liked my choreography, but like, I've learned, I've learned a lot since then. So. I think everybody says that. <laughs> the first thing you do, I think, every, yeah, I think that that's a common thing. Like overall, I think it was good, but then it was also like, this is terrible. It was like, terrible everything <laughs> <laughs> well you like to say you, you you fail fail better yes so anything yes. you can do really the audience was happy and the dancers were nice. happy and i was pleased at the time yeah so how how often are you putting on original original stuff once a year we do an annual concert once a year yeah um this season though we're actually expanding um we're expanding our our offerings um one thing i do really miss i miss the fringe festival hey Hey, Mayor Przyki, I missed the French Festival. Bring it back. Um, uh, here's the thing. While I'm sure that folks around Mayor Przyki are well aware of what's being said in here, <laughs> I don't know whether this is the platform to go ahead and, you know, make some sort of pitch. <laughs> Actually, if you do pitch uh, Mayor Przyki, you might not want to mention you were in here. <laughs> I'm just but, kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. We love you. We love them. We t- we just kid. We kid the we mayor. Kid. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great dude. Um, but yeah. So I we we did the French festival when it was going on the Wilmington Fringe, which was a great opportunity for smaller organizations, especially performing artists, to be able to kind of get an extra. And I guess production they, they still it. have the fringe in Philly, right? That Philly fringe, but Philly fringe. But that's out of control now. It's well, no, no, no. It's just the production, but the way that Wilmington Fringe dealt with like the production costs. The production costs were minimal um, for Wilmington Fringe. Like, I had to pay a seventy-five dollar application fee, and then you could just have it at a venue. Whatever. They they made arrangements with the venues, and I and I, I I understand that that was not necessarily a good deal for kind of the big venues that are in the area because they were expected to give up their space and their staff for at for no money at all. So I recognize the ways in which that's hard for them. I um, you know I recognize them and then I dismiss them. Yeah. So 
you know, but it was an um, it was a major opportunity for us, especially since, you know, when the Fringe Festival was going on, we really just did two shows. a se- We did two shows per season. We would do the Fringe and then we would do our annual. And the Fringe was a major opportunity for us to reach new audiences. And the fact that the the production costs, aside from like costumes and music rights and that stuff, but like we didn't have to like rent a venue and do that piece of it. You know, that's one of the major misconceptions. People often think, oh, I bought my ticket and that did the thing. No, like ticket sales only cover like half production costs. If I sell the entire venue, if I sell out, I'm, I cover half my costs for a production. So anyway, that was a real downer. Uh, uh, well, uh, but we survive on donations. We yeah. really do. Like the arts organizations yeah. that you know and love, they need your donations. Like they need you to come in and buy your ticket and get your membership or do whatever. But we also need you to like just write a check or do a PayPal or you, you know, know whatever I, you do. I know this sounds I don't not preachy, but maybe it sounds a little bit a uh, feat or uh, uh, condescending. I don't know. But yeah, I really think like all kinds of arts, you have trouble understanding what's going on unless you try to take in some art in some fashion. Yeah. I think. And I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I don't know if we were before or when we were on the mic, but just about it having some sort of other impact, whether it just makes you think about something, like even if it makes you think about something in an abstract way. Then you can start thinking about things in abstract ways that yeah. you weren't able to do that before. And I think that's my usually like my overall goal is I when I'm presenting works, I I don't have the answers. Like we I did a piece a couple years ago that was called it was called Syria and we premiered it during like in the at the at the height of the Syrian refugee crisis. And it's still an issue. There are still yeah, <laughs> refugees still happening <laughs> that need attention and support and help and uh, a safe space. Um, but it was really, you know, we were talking about who's allowed in the country and, you know, various European countries were like closing their borders. And like it was, it, you know, it was really at the height of it. And, you know, the work that I created, it didn't answer any questions by any means. But, you know, maybe you went home after the show and and kind of looked about looked into the research of it a little bit more maybe you had a conversation with somebody later that week that maybe brought up Syria or refugees in general and then you kind of maybe had a different f- mindset and framework around yeah, it yeah i mean so, that's the that's the gig right i mean I, there's yeah. a, there's an artist here that works in the neighborhood who does a lot of political art and uh, actually just puts it up in a window in the neighborhood nice uh it's pretty provocative so there's there has been there have been pieces he's done oil on canvas that have been like they've asked him to take it down wow because it's it's uh it's very provocative next time you see one text me tell me yeah well it's a long story about this guy uh actually uh his it's kurtz his his name's uh uh kurtz okay he has a studio right over here and uh I've, i've i've run into him on the street a few times and he's seen me looking at the stuff and we talked about it, but that's his his thing is like if you say, well, why did you do this? It's obviously it's it's political or it's provocative in some way. Some people would say it's it's obscene, depending on you know what you. And you ask him like, why would you do this and like show it, like put it out towards mm-hmm. the street? And he was like, I don't, I don't know. What did you think? Why do you think I did it? Mm-hmm. 
Like that's really the question. The like, question you know, is, it's not the answer. Like it's not the, it's not yeah. about an answer. It's about how, looking at something that strikes something in your mind that makes you think about something. That's it. Yes. Like that's, yes. You know, just no. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't look at the, you know, abstract paintings for answers. Yes. And I think the process, I think that's a thing that in general we can do a better job of as a community, as a country, is looking at things, thinking about things, and then just having conversations. And if we can do that, then we might be able to have conversations. (laughs) So I have to uh, ask you, because I don't know how long this will go, because this is a topic that I'm really interested in. but. You choreographed a show uh, about the 68 riots? Yes. So the 68 uprising here uh, actually, you know, it was really a, a seminal event. It was, yeah. Uh, in, in the city, one of them. Uh, and so I wonder just sort of what um, what was the sort of inspiration to even tackle that thing and what sort of experiences or stories have you heard that sort of made you think like I'm going to try to tackle this thing so it all started with a 1984 Chevy Nova a lot of things I think <laughs> I think I think some uh, I, I was going to say something <laughs> I'm not going to say it so I in high school drove a 1984 Chevy Nova which means my car was one year younger than I am. So me and my mechanic That's a hoopty. I mean you got yeah, You got to yeah. ride. That's a, that's the type of car listen. Sometimes you have to ride. Listen, it had a radio. It did not have a tape deck. Um, it maxed out at 85 and I could push Why do you need thing. to go more than 85? That's well, the I will push that thing on 80 all the way down to the beach. It got me back and forth to Rehoboth many times. Um, but then sometimes it broke down. So I was in very good terms with my mechanic and my mechanic, uh, had a shop right on the corner of market and conquer F like back behind those shops that are right there. Yep. And I remember I took my car in one day because it needed attention. And he said to me, oh, Marcus, you never look the same since the fires. Sir, er, what fires? Um, and he he is the one who told me about it. Um, and again, I said earlier, I've been from Wilmington my whole life for anyone school district K to 12. And this was my junior year of high school. And I'd literally never heard anybody make mention of the 68 riots the the uprising the national guard occupation nothing he was the first person who ever murmured anything about that to me um and so that (laughs) that moment that moment in history became my research project my junior year in american history um and she gave me a B on that because she didn't have enough sources cited. Um, but <laughs> I, that still sticks in your crawl. Oh, I'm really see. upset about. It. Like I worked really hard. I was at the stupid. Well, not the stupid. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was at the Delaware Historical Society like every day because I was like digging through microfiche. Wait, uh, you went? You went to the Delaware Historical Society and I looked was, at microfiche, and she gave you. This she or he saying. gave you a B. This is what I'm saying. So it was like most of my. You know, most of my source material was like a magazine clip from like Newsweek that had like two paragraphs. So it only had like one thing. So I had a massive bibliography, but a lot of the things on it were just like one or two lines. You were, it's, you're, it's clear you were robbed. I was robbed. Oh, so it is. It's, it, it grinds. It grinds my gears. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so what? So what? Um, so, oh, so, so how, you, where did I went? No, no. Yeah. So, so you, you did the, you did the I paper. I did the research. You did the research and paper. And after, um... 
And that's kind of a topic that kept circling back. I, I ended up, you know, shaking that research paper out and, and using it in college at some point because it was massive. It was a 15-page paper. I was like, this will work. Sociology 203. I did this already. Um, and then I was still really thinking about it. It was sitting with me and... Um, the second year, or it was our second concert for Pieces of a Dream, and I did actually my first work about um, the riots, and it was called Riotous Behavior, and um, I used several different freedom songs and march songs, and I did the, kind of my first work kind of looking at the emotional impact of the National Guard occupation on the residents of the city of Wilmington, kind of what that did to the people who lived in the city and the people who lived around the city. Um because, again, I had always felt that folks, especially people in the suburbs, were afraid to come into the city. Like, coming into the city was like a taboo, kind of scary thing. I know personally I never felt afraid being in the city, but I recognized that there was a little bit of a discon- uh, uh, a separation between my ex- my experience and what people perceived the, the city of Wilmington to be. Um, and so the first work was kind of just dealing with that emotional aspect of it. Um, and then last year, um, I was very fortunate. I was commissioned by the Delaware Art Museum, a joint commission um, of myself and Terrence Van, who's a local visual artist. He's a painter and a muralist. I and hope amazing. he comes in here too. Oh, I, he's we, great. Yeah, uh, Nurse Susan has done some stuff with him. Yeah, so we, we sort of know him. He's yeah. A, he's, a, he's, a, uh, he's a friend of ours. He is wonderful. And so he and I were had a joint commission through the Delaware the Arch um, funded from not uh, through the Delaware Art Museum funded through the National Endowment for the Arts to create kind of a retrospective on 1968. And so we called our work Uprising um, Remembrance Resistance Revival. Um, And he created this massive mural and I created this massive (laughs) dance. Um, So it was was really wonderful. It was 45 minutes. Um, We premiered it in September 2018. Did you do it there at their theater? no, we didn't do it on the stage. We did it in the lobby. Okay. So it was really, really great. We we talked about a couple of different places, but I think where we ended up doing it was just so amazing. They do have a big sort of a spacious yeah, space there. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Um, the people at the art museum are really wonderful and kind to me. I like them there. Um, but That's yeah. the one thing. Actually, there's a... Uh, here at the bunker, everyone sort of knows sort of where we are situated. Uh we move around, no one, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're, we're tricky, mm-hmm. but we do have a contingency plan. Oh. So when there's a when there's a red alert, uh, we have a, a full battalion who is going to protect the the art museum. <laughs> They're gonna. We have. We we, we let, let's just say this. I don't want to give. I don't want to say too much. Let's just say that the art museum will be taken care of. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I know. I know where we are. Yeah. I know what's cool we're in. <laughs> I mean, and and the people that I know and love the art museum, we've also had these conversations. Yes. So, um, but the it it was just really a wonderful thing, and so, um, uprising. What you know, we dealt with. We kind of zoomed in on 1968 as a moment, um, and then it flashes forward to kind of our present moment, which I feel like is really a moment of like we're in a, a moment of resistance and we're in a moment of kind of a, you know, a, a populist uprising, if you will. And then it flash forward, it flashes forward again into kind of what could be. Um, and, you know, essentially the vision of what could be is what we proclaim that America is and just maybe 
we will become what America says that it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such a common theme in here when talking to artists or activists or whatever. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not the idea. We've never done that. I just read, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but the New York Times put out the magazine a week or two ago. It's the 1619 Project. 1619 Project. It's, I mean, it's not new information to people who know history, but when you see it sort of in context altogether, um, you know, it's still incredibly moving. And And the fact of it is that we never have lived up to any of it. It's all Mm -hmm. just a story. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, like, yeah, it's a contradiction, but then we can do sort of, we we can can move on to, we have to, we have to try. We we have to, you know, you can't make, you can't pretend that the story already was true because facts. Um, (laughs) Because everything, because everything that's ever happened. (laughs) But you can make a decision to do the things that make the story true. And I think, you know, you know, even as far as the 1619 project is like so many people, so many students, so many adults don't know that information. And so so many people think that the the um fictional the Disney version of America is the true story of America and it's like America didn't happen like that Pocahontas movie. Like that's not that's not really how it worked. <laughs> like nope. you know, all of the stories that we've told ourselves historically are not really, really true. There's you know, it's the glitter version of it. It's it's the animated. Oh, yeah, it's propaganda. It's propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's propaganda to serve a purpose. And again, this is why like you said this is why all this, the arts are so important. You said it in the show that you put together. This is what happened. Yeah. This is where we are now. But if we learn our lessons and we think yeah. we think in a uh, we think in an abstract way about sort of some of this, we could do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what it all is, whether yes. it's politics or activism or art. Uh, because otherwise, we otherwise I don't know that what we have if we don't do any of that. Yeah. 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 And it's just like I said, it's 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 starting a conversation. And if you know, if it's nothing else, I uh, <laughs> one of my friends made did a Facebook post that was like, if you have, you can deal with racism in the way that you deal with stinky breath. Like if I say to you, your breath stinks, you say no, it's not, and you just walk around and keep breathing on people, then your breath still stings. But if you if I say your breath stinks and you breathe in your hands like oh it does stink, let me go brush my teeth, then you can do like small things to help kind of tr- address and assess and check yourself as opposed to just being in a space of denial. And I think that that's kind of what all of us need to be need to do because there are also ways that. Um, it was very interesting after um, the Cheeto chief was elected. Um, I started kind of really looking at the ways in which I was thinking a lot about privilege and the idea of privilege. And I was noticing the ways in which I, as a black woman, there are definitely areas in which I don't have privilege, but then there are also definitely areas in which I do have privilege. So I have privilege of being college educated in a, in a, society that values that i have the privilege of being heterosexual and married um in a society that values that 
more than other types of relationships overall as far as the system is concerned and so there are like these little small things that make things easier for me I'm generally a slim person in a society that values that and physicality and so you know there are these little small ways in which I do have a level of privilege and if I can use the spaces where I do have privilege to help someone who does not have privilege in that space. And everybody can, if we can all kind of adjust our mindset in that way, we can, you know, the, the rising tide lift the boats. Yeah. It's so, uh, again, because I read, just finished uh, all of the essays Mm -hmm. in the 16, in the 1619 project, I've been thinking about this and it's, and it's even more like you can, I think, it's so important for people to understand this to people who don't know because it's it's you know you you a particular person can come into a situation with you know any prejudice or or, or bigotry or, or whatever okay we can deal with that however we need to deal with it in the moment <clears throat> but if you don't understand that there are structural mm-hmm. things that have basically not just contributed to what we have but is basically everything we have uh-huh. genocide uh-huh. chattel slavery all the way up to like just taking people's shit yeah well there's a story in the 1619 project about how you know there's no and it's a pretty common story blacks and pe- that just don't have any generational wealth yeah whether it's real estate wealth or, or whatever and there's a story about a, a a guy and i think it was alabama who had built up his family had built up uh, a business that was um it was a general store uh they they, they had a farm there it was uh, sugar and a few other crops they had a trucking uh business they employed maybe 14 people all, all black folks in the community and it was after the war, 46 or 47, mm-hmm. they, they just murdered that guy. Mm. <clears throat> um, they just shot him in the street. And then, of course, then the family gets hustled out of everything mm-hmm. because they have no rights. Now. You know, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't recognize their rights. Mm-hmm. And, now, and, and you know, his, you know, that was 46 or 47. And his family, you know, never got, they said the business that he had was like between a half a million and a million dollars in today's money yeah. in the 40s. Yeah. And but and people don't like yeah you come into you come into our discussion now with whatever prejudices and racism that you have and we can hash that out however we need to but you're gonna have to accept the, how we got in this posi- yeah. situation yeah because how we got here is really nasty business yeah and if you don't start um, sort of thinking in another way mm-hmm. about about that it's very difficult to then you gotta check do, your bad breath yeah. He, yeah, it's, and and again, that's that's the arts thing. It's like you get people's minds to like mm-hmm. look at something completely in a different way exactly. that they never would before. Exactly, and then maybe that maybe that's like the 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 you know the the vault lock that turns yeah. around, and something opens up when it turns around. Yeah, it's, it's heavy stuff. Yeah, but you know, I think the the great thing about the arts is you can do heavy stuff. You can do heavy stuff, and it's okay. I mean, that's like our ongoing, <laughs> that's our ongoing joke, uh, especially with within the company. It's like, okay, so we're passing out programs and boxes of tissues. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm really okay 
with people crying at my shows. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I would think, yeah, that would be like a if, I, if you could evoke that kind of emotion from people, like you know, and laughter's like, like that, like yeah. that kind of emotion out of people's like, hey, that's great. It's like I'm really okay with that, and like I'm, you know, kind of my next step is like let's have more opportunities just kind of talk through it afterwards like i'm super interested in that and you know really breaking our for the fourth wall um and all right we did our thing now let's let's talk about it and you know what did you see and this is what i felt and you know I, i'm really interested in that because at the end of the day my my goal is to just kind of spark the conversation and see where things roll from there so what are you working on now um so give us a little give us a little teaser so next year is 2020 and there's like a lot going on okay um i'm doing <laughs> so we'll be doing some super stress we'll be doing three shows that season which i told you didn't usually do that many but we're doing three shows but in like a smaller context so we're doing uprising Again, in February for Black History Month because Black History Month. And I got to put up a show on Black History Month because we're mostly black and that's what people ask us for. Yeah. Where, um, where, do you know what the venue is going to be? No, don't. Sh no, we're still working on it. Okay. Sorry. But it'll happen. It's going to happen. So <laughs> stay Carl, tuned. Carl could beep it out. <laughs> if you want to sneak it to me, he'll no, beep it out. No, I really don't know. <laughs> I have a list, but I don't have any confirmations okay. at all. Um, then we're doing a, a fun, like mother's day thing fun is that true i don't know if it's fun i'm excited about it <laughs> <laughs> i was like i don't know if that's really the right adjective but i'm excited about it yeah. um and then I, i'm for 2020 i'm really interested in women's stories in general and then we're so we're doing our fall production um which will be our annual concert um we're looking at like october november um for fall 2020 we're really zooming in on just women's stuff are celebrating the um centennial of the 19th amendment which i think is dope and amazing yeah, and cool. um yeah so that those are kind of our, our big things so nice I'm, I'm excited about it so stay tuned yes pieces of a dream are you on uh you got a little twitter yeah you twitter, so, you twitter it up um we can, we can hook it up pieces of a dream um as our twitter and then everything else is at pieces of a dream dance so facebook is pieces of a dream dance and our ig is at pieces of a dream dance and our youtube is pieces of a dream dance but don't go on the youtube because like nothing on there but i have it so like wait a little bit <laughs> nice but you can find us on um, um, our website is pieces of a dream.org so we're easy to find nice well, we are also here on twitter at highlands bunker we are on patreon at patreon.com backslash the Highlands Bunker. That's where you want to go to support our work, which, you know, you should be doing. Absolutely. Two, $5, $10 more. There's a big, there's an executive producer uh, little uh, bonus on there. You should think about it. <laughs> uh, we're on iTunes, RSS feed. You can, you know, do what you need to do. Pound that subscribe button. Give us five stars. <laughs> um Ashley, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thanks yeah, for it's dope. You're, you're doing dope stuff. <laughs> Thank it. you. All right. Uh, Lula Livre, everybody. Left is best. Ciao.